All right, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look at the first 18 verses there. Uh, we're walking through Genesis, right? So we come up to this guy named Noah. Noah, God tells him, you need to build this boat, and I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to eradicate mankind. Why are we going to do that? Because we, man thinks wicked thoughts all the time. Okay, it wasn't just an occasional thing. And I, I was listening to a guy, and he says, think about this. Try to think evil thoughts all the time. It is nearly impossible, just like we can't think good thoughts all the time. Okay? And so as we were talking, did you say this, Craig? Yes, I said Yes, I, I knew it was some guy I talked to this week. And I think you're going to allude to this more, right, when you preach in a couple of weeks. And it was, he came up with the point that do you, um, you can't do it unless there's something influencing you there. Uh, demonic thoughts, things like that. To come evil all the time, it's got to be bigger than you. So then we get into chapter 9 where um, Noah comes after the flood. It's got he and his sons there. There's about eight people left on the earth. And then we get into chapter 10, and you see all these genealogies, okay? They, they walk through these people, and you see the de descendants of uh, Japheth and Gomer and, and Ham and all these people, and you're like, what in the world? But if you start, if you look at this in the original language, you're going to see that each one of these weird names actually is... A, a different region. And Jordan, can you pop that one that next slide up there? And you're going to see that the green area down the bottom left is where Ham lives, and that is Egypt, okay? Shem was toward the middle, which is the blue on the right-hand side, and then Jathep, uh, Jephthah, something like that. Japheth? That's what his name is. Japheth. Uh, he was up by Europe, okay? So his descendants went up in that general region. If you look at these different ones, that's kind of the general area where they filled in the land. That's where they were supposed to go. That's where they're supposed to spread out. How do we know that? Because the Hebrew names of these regions that are on the map and the Hebrew names that are here in Genesis chapter 10, they line up with the same people groups, okay? And so I had never known that before. I didn't know that as well. And there's some you have to look at the Septuagint to find that, which is one of the translations of the Bible to find out uh, some of these different things. And why would we put more emphasis on that translation? Because that's the one they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which brings us back to a little bit more accuracy, which brings us a little bit more accurate Genesis chapter 10. Okay? It, there's not a big difference between those, but there are some. Okay? So we have those three main people groups in Ham, Shem, and Jephthah. The other dude. Thanks. Thanks, Will. Japheth. Japheth. I, I, see, I, I'm gearing up for all these Greek names that are in uh, Acts chapter 2. So I didn't even practice Japheth's name. Whoa. All right. Then it brings us to Genesis chapter 11, okay? So in 
One more thing that I need to remind you of. Three times in Genesis chapter 9, he tells him to go be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. He also tells him to subdue the land. It, it says it a little bit different in the New Living Translation. It's in verse 1. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay? So it was to sub, subdue the earth is another translation and things. Uh, basically, we are in charge of it. That is our charge to take care of the earth, take care of the animals, and take care of all these things. Okay? In chapter 11, we see people not obeying. Okay? Because what were they commanded to do? Spread out, take care of the earth. What do they want to do? Hey, we found this nice plane. We're going to get together. Let's, ha let's have a party. I don't know what it was. Um, at, the one, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain on the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then he said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous, keeping us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they're all speaking the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. This is why the city was called Babel because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So if you look at your bulletin, you'll see the problem. The problem we have here is that man, there's nothing that would be impossible for man. Where do we see that today? A lot of times we see that show up in science, don't we? We see that sh show up in a way that, hey, we can create man out of a clump of cells. We can create, be our own creator. We are very uh, smart. We're very sharp, aren't we, as, as beings, living beings. But it still doesn't answer the question, where did we come from? Well, have you ever heard that story um, where man goes up to God and says, well, God, we don't need you anymore. And he says, oh, that's why is that? Well, we can create man all by ourselves now. We don't need you. We can grow him from a test tube, and uh, that, that would be good. We take a little bit of dirt, and we take a little bit of minerals, and we can, we can create him just like out of the ground, just like you did. And he says, oh, okay, well, let's have a little contest. And he says, well, why don't you, um, you create your man in your image, and I'll create my man in, in my image, and we'll go from there. And he goes, there's like, okay, that's good. Uh, can we just use some, hand us a little bit of that dirt? And he says, no, that's my dirt. <laughs> right? Who created that? Where did it all come from? You've got to boil it down to the very beginning. Who created it all? You, you can even look at science. So 
um, Einstein figured out is the Earth is ever and the universe is ever expanding. It's always going out. It's always going out. What's it going to go out to? Entropy. What's that mean? It means it's going to go out till it dies out of energy. Okay, entropy means it's a state of stillness, right? So if that is true, the inverse of that theorem is true as well. So they decided to flip that on its end and they found out that the universe has a beginning. Because mathematically, we can, we can look at the stars and the pattern that is out there in the stars and we know that it is gonna, we know where the stars were 2,000 years ago, we know where they're gonna be 2,000 years from now or any number in between there. There's an application out there. That's how you know when the star of Bethlehem did its little dancing thing because we know we can map the stars. We know exactly what they, they did, right? And so if you map the stars all the way back to the beginning, there is a beginning point. That means if there's a beginning, there has to be a creator. And so that points us to intricate design. Um, or a master designer, and I don't think man was that master designer. I think we were designed by something else, and at that point, if there was a creator that points to a, or if there's a creation that points to a creator, which I believe is God, okay? Some people say that that's aliens. Well, where did the aliens come from? There's got to be something bigger, something higher on the outside of, of creation, outside of creation, can't be something inside creation. And so as we look at this, we see the problem is man has got this fancy thing that they call a new invention, and they call it the brick. And they're going to use tars and mortar, and they're going to say, hey, we can be like God. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get back to God. Even from our ancestor clear back to Noah, he said we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and then we are going to do this process to get back to God. Why don't we just take a shortcut? We'll just take a shortcut and what we'll do is we'll make this brick. We'll make this and we'll be able to climb up to heaven because if you know anything about uh, Hebrew history, you know that they thought that the heavens... There was a ceiling. There was a ceiling that if you broke that ceiling that you could get into heaven. So they're going to build up to that ceiling so they can break into heaven. Okay? So that makes sense to me. I'm along board. I think this is great. Everybody's on, on board. Everybody can communicate. Things are going well. We're all hunky-dory. And what happens? God sees this as a, they're going to go right back to where they were. They're going to go right back to a people group that is not dependent on, on me to get to heaven, but they're going to try to depend on themselves, and they will go straight to hell. God's like, I can't have that. God has designed it since we have fallen into sin that he is our pattern to get back to heaven, right? When we try to get to heaven on our own power we will fall short every time so the problem is we are, are trying to become independent of the Lord all the time and that that has a major problem because we want to 
uh, be dependent on him. If you flip over to Colossians, which is kind of toward the back, 3.23, and I had this one in the NIV, but it's okay in the New Living Translation. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 3.23, which is page 889. It reads like this. It says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. This is an act of worship, friends. As we come together, we work at it willingly for the Lord, not for people. Whatever you do, work at it, not for yourselves, but as unto the Lord. That's closer to the, the NIV. What does that mean? Whatever I do. So, should I do it halfway? Should I do it partway? No, I should do it all the way. When it comes to preaching, I shouldn't do it for myself. I should do it for the Lord. The, glor the glory goes up. Okay, that's easy because you're preaching God's word. Okay, what about uh, washing toilets? What about taking out the cat litter? What about uh, cleaning, out, uh, cleaning off the yard and doing the yard work and things? What about um, washing the car, changing the dirty diapers, uh, cleaning cat pens without... The one that always comes to my mind, uh, things that I don't want to do, but I'm not doing it for myself, and that can be an act of worship when I do it for the Lord, okay? It's one of the big four points of Kavanaugh, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, that's one. Reading your Bible, to know it, to study it, to meditate on it, uh, to pray, and the last one is Colossians 3.23 which is work at it, not for yourself, but as unto the Lord. So when you are a waitress in a restaurant and you have to bust your own tables at night because the busboy doesn't show up and you want to just wipe off half the table that's dirty and not the clean part, but you see the sticky spot in the back corner, but it's the back corner and you're tired. You don't want to do that. That can be an act of worship to the Lord and cleaning that table, right? And getting it done right like it's supposed to nobody's going to know nobody's going to care until it gets the third spill on there and then it's sticky and then it start when you get up out of your seat and you hear the right but it, it's clean you've done your job you've done somebody else's job that's not easy to do it's not easy to do right I think that's why God created babies so we have to do something that, for them, that we're not, they're not able to do for themselves. And so it teaches us a little bit of humility that uh, God's doing this for us every single day. Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 3, says it this way. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay? It's working in humility, right? When they are at the Tower of Babel, 
We can get back to God. We can do it our way. I'm going to do it all by myself. Is that an act of humility? No, that's an act of arrogance. That I can do this all by myself. And when they say they have the ability to get back to God their own way, they can create their own way to heaven, in a sense, it's kind of like buying the stairway to heaven, isn't it? Isn't that what this passage is about? You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't build your way into heaven. Okay? The only way into heaven is through Jesus Christ. He is said, he said it himself, and then he demonstrated it on the cross and raising from the raising from the grave. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? So when we give, we don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. I think that also goes with our talents and things um, when we serve. When we serve, we don't have to announce it, like I do when every time, like every tenth time that I do the laundry. Hey, honey, guess what I did today? And she's like, great, guess what I do every week, moron? She doesn't say that, but I can only imagine. It's the look on her face, and I kind of am being kind of dumb at that point, right? And we're stuck with our problem. I think when we try to do things under our own power, God is quick to adjust that dial. Are you pointed at me or are you pointed at, at the Lord? And that's difficult. And we see a people group here that are trying to build themselves up to heaven and God comes in and he tweaks their language so they become more dependent on him. Did he do it because he was a cruel God and said, ha ha ha, now this is your punishment? No. He saw where they were going. They were going to go back to evil all the time. You're going to run away from the discipline that I have taught you, and you need to come back to me. Sound familiar? It does to me. I can hear that in, in my walk with the Lord all the time where I'm going, ha ha ha, Lord. And he's like, uh-uh, you need to come back to me. Be dependent on me. Why? Is God's way always fun? Is God's way always cool? Is God's way always the in crowd? Is it always what everybody else is doing? No. Matter of fact, a lot of times it's opposite of that, isn't it? And when we become dependent on the Lord, is there a reward for that? I, I believe there is. I believe that there is a reward for that. What is that reward? There's a peace that passes understanding. You can go to bed at night with a clean conscience. You don't have to lie to get your own way. And you don't have to remember all the lies that you told yesterday to be cool. The things that you did that you really didn't do. Or the things you said you didn't do, but you really did. Those are all catch-22, right? If you can just be yourself, God allows you to be yourself. God allows you to be patient. God allows you to be kind. He develops in you those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And through that development, the problem will go away. Right? So how, what was God's solution to the problem? He divided them with language. So it forced them to go into different 
regions, <coughs> excuse me, but he's got to get back to the basics. How are we going to get back there? Well, let's turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, which is a little bit beyond the book of Matthew, but before the book of Colossians. John Acts, it's page 905. It's not on that page, so if you see 906, back up one. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. What's happening in Acts chapter 1? Jesus has risen from the grave. He has been on the earth for 40 days. What do we see in 40s, right? How long did it rain? 40 days. How long was Jesus in the desert? 40 days. Each time we have those, there's a major transition that happens, right? Jesus is going back to heaven. It's 40 days. A major transition is going to happen in 10 days, right? 10, the number of perfection. God's, God's completeness happens in a 10. Uh, 10s always point to the Lord, Okay, so 40 days, Jesus goes up. 10 days from now, Pentecost happens. Okay, Jesus predicts this with a promise in verse 6 through 8. It says, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, when has the time come for you, you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Folks, the promise was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I look at this passage, I see a lot of wedding um, language there. Who would know the time of the wedding? The father alone would know the time of the wedding. How would he know the time of the wedding? Well, when the bridegroom goes and proposes to the bride, he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Where is that place usually at? It's usually a lean-to off of his father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Do you hear the bride language that goes into there? How do I know when it's time to bring my bride back to my lean-to, in a sense, to be in fellowship with my family? I don't know until my father tells me the house is ready. Go get your bride. Can you see that language there? That's kind of cool, huh? Um, there's a little bit of more Hebrew lesson there for you. But in the meantime, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, I'm promising you the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that power, uh, God's going to show up. Flip over a page. Well, you might not have to. It's at the bottom of the page there of 9 to 5. The first verse, the Holy Spirit comes. Where do we see this? We see this in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 18, and then I'm going to skip down to 37 through 47. Now, does it mean that those verses in between aren't any good? No, I just didn't think, I didn't know if I'd hold your attention that long to read all the whole chapter. So I skipped a little bit of it. Should you go back and read it? Absolutely. It's a great story. 
On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting there in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At the time, there was were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noises, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear that their own language had been being speak, spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native tongues. Here we are, Pantheans, Medes, Elamites, People from Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, and province of Asia, Phrygia, um, Pamphylia, those are the two I did practice, uh, Egypt and the areas of uh, Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They are just drunk. That's all. People don't want to hear the truth when it's saying plainly to them, do they? They're just drunk. It's some magic trick. It's some sl sleight of hand. I don't know how it happened, but I'm not going to listen. But others did, didn't they? Now look at all those places. The Medes, Elamites, um, Pantheons, people from Mesopotamia. Go back to that slide again. Okay, we got all those regions up there on. Rome is up there in Japheth. And uh, you got Egypt down there and Ham and all the regions in between. Guess what? When you start looking and mapping out all these places, they're almost identical to the ones that were written out in Genesis chapter 10. What God has divided, now he is bringing them back by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That was the, the transition that I saw there and um, what Superbook showed me. I was like, yay, go Superbook, right? God is bringing back his people. How important is it to him? It was so important that he is breaking down the language barrier so that we might be in fellowship with him. Praise God for that. So they accuse him of being drunk. Peter stands up. In verse 16, it says, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Know what you see here was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, 
God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all the people. My sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In the same, in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. They will prophesy. It continues on uh, with that prediction as well in there. But that's where I'm going to stop this morning. Did Peter stop speaking their multiple language at speaking in tongues? No, he kept right along. And you see the people respond. The people responded in verse 37. It says, Peter's word pierced their hearts, and they said to them and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? This is what we've dreamed of our whole life. To God, to dwell among his people. What should we do? How should we act? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sin and turn to God to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children, to those far away and all those who have been called by the Lord. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from the crooked generation. Those who believed with Peter, what Peter said and baptized all in the church that day, about 3,000 in all. What do we know about the number three? It is completion, right? It is taking a one and a two and bringing them together into a complete, into unity. That's what number three stands for. What do we see here? We see a united church. How is it done? Part of it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Part of it's done by the convicting of the heart. You see, the first story that we have, you see a united people in language. And they're all working for the same thing. It is wonderful. We see this tower going up. It is amazing. Everybody is happy. Wow, I can't believe what we're doing. Look at we, what we've done. The problem in there is, look what we've done. Look how we can build. We can get back to heaven on our own power. And that's the problem, isn't it? We continue to search day after day after day for a way to get back to the Lord under our own power because we don't want to submit to his authority. Ultimately, that's what it is. Christ says, surrender to me your hardships. Surrender to me your sins. Surrender to me your pride. And I will pour out to you the power of the Holy Spirit to know which way to go. That's hard. That's the hardest decision I think that is humanly made is to submit to the Lord and his authority. Wow. What does that mean? It means not following the crowd. It means not following your own talents, your own gifts, and making something of yourself. 
which is exactly what our culture preaches, to go, you can do this all by yourself. You're strong enough. You're big enough. And dang it, you're good looking too. Right? <laughs> it's all self. Secularism. It's the power of self. It's the religion of self. How do I get back? We even distort it into our, our relationship with the Lord. Well, if, I, if I'm just a good person, I can, I can, if I work this way, I can, I can be good enough and I can get to heaven. Or, well, maybe if, I'm, if, if I can't get to heaven by being a good person, if I do good works, I, I can help feed the, the poor and I can take care of the needy. And I can be a wonderful person because I've done wonderful things. And that, those acts will get me into heaven. It's all a lie. There's only one way we get to heaven, right? And that's by the grace of Jesus Christ. When we surrender and submit to his authority, we have a doorway to get to heaven. Okay? So check this out, okay? We want to do good works, turn our way into heaven. But God says, surrender your works, and then you will get to get into heaven. It's opposite of that, isn't it? It's opposite of that. The world, even many, many, many churches today, preach good works. Say a number of prayers. If you confess your sins, though... That's an act of surrender. Okay? <sighs> Such an intricate, different way. So what happens? What's the result of surrendering to the Lord? Now I want to do good works. Okay? Because I know it's not under my power and authority that I'm doing these things, but I'm, I, I want to do good works. So they look very, very similar, don't they? The world's way of doing good works, and I'm going to get to heaven, um, build my bricks, build my thing up, and I can, I can build my own kingdom, and I'll get to heaven. Or God's way is surrender those bricks, surrender those things. Now I will have you build for my kingdom. But it looks different, doesn't it? They're both united, but they're united under two different authorities. And so we have to surrender that authority. I am pounding this. I've pounded this since I became the preacher here, okay? It is something that we don't get taught enough in the Americas, in Christianity today. We want to say that you can be a good person, you can put on that happy smile, and then everything's going to go well with you. That's not how it works. Sometimes it's opposite of that. But when you're in those trials, when you're in the, in the down, don't you want something stronger than you to lift you up? I do. I can't get through life without myself, by myself. I've tried. It doesn't work. And so I need that peace that passes understanding that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do they become unified? They come unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's flip over to Ephesians. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's past Romans, past the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 4, 979. We're going to look at verse 4. It says, this is talking about unity, right? It's talking about coming together as a church. It says, For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now we're going to break that down into two different sections there. First, we're going to talk about the unity. How do we have unity? We have unity through the Spirit. How do we get the Spirit? We surrender to the Spirit. Okay? God's way or my way? I'm going to choose God's way, so I'm going to submit to His way. How do I know what His way looks like? I look at His Word. Okay? I've challenged people lately to look at the New Testament. It starts in Matthew. Okay? So where's Matthew at? It's, it starts clear at the end of the book, right? This is the New Testament right here. Okay? This is the Old Testament. Okay? What's the difference? This is how not to do it. This is people trying to do it under their own authority. Okay? This is how to do it. Why do we only have a thin part to show how to do it? Because we have it once. We don't need it multiple times. How do we... We have, we have to see how to fail many, many times. Okay? Many, many different ways. There's only so many ways you can fail. There's only so many things new under the sun, right? After that, it repeats itself over and over and over. After you get this, this is the only way to do it. Okay? This is the truth. Now, why do we call it a New Testament and an Old Testament? Well, this is after the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in and comes in, we can do it this way. We don't need the law. We don't need a book of rules anymore. We have the Holy Spirit to convict us when we do right and wrong. Does it help to know the rules? Absolutely. But is there some pressure that comes with knowing the rules? Yes, there is. Is there responsibility after we know the rules? Yes, there is, because I've read Romans, which is in this part, right? It's in this section, right? Romans says, once you know the rules, you're going to want to break them. Oh, that stinks, right? But praise God for his grace, because he will forgive us when we turn back to those rules, right? Ephesians, back there again. And he's flipping all over their Bible crying out loud. Can't even get anything done around here. Verse 7, however, he has given us, each one of us, a special gift, okay? The translation there is a special grace, okay? What is grace? It's unmerited favor. I don't deserve the favor, but I'm getting it anyway. It's better than a participation award, folks. It's being picked on a team, Okay? You don't deserve to be on the team, but I'm going to pick you anyway. Okay? You strike out every single time, house, but I'm going to pick you anyway. You can't throw it worth a lick, but I'm going to pick you anyway. Because by my power, by my authority, everybody's going to know 
that Shane's the strikeout that can't throw to the first and hit the broadside of a barn. But after I come into this life, things changed. And now I have the authority of Christ Jesus, and I go under his authority, I can hit the ball. I can throw to first. What's changed in you? What's different? It's Jesus Christ. He's in my life. I'm listening to the coach and not me, right? A little baseball analogy there. How? By his grace. Okay? Turn back. Oh, it's on the other page. Just on over at the top left on page 978. It says, God saved you, this is verse 8, by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Okay? Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. Do you have to be a good person to get into heaven? No. Because if I had to be a good person to get into heaven, I'd be doomed from the get-go because my heart is bent toward evil. As a Christian, I believe that I was born evil, okay? Separated from God, with a sin nature in my heart, bent to do evil. Salvation is not a reward for me, so that none of us can boast. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We all have to lay our burdens down. I am no different. I am a sinner. I'm a professional. I've said that several different weeks at sinning. How do you know you're a professional at something? You have to be able to do it 100,000 times. Guess what? I'm a professional sinner. I'm good at it. Right? Am I proud of it? No, I'm not proud of it. I'm not. But if I don't tell that part of the story, I'm leaving half the gospel out, aren't I? If I only say that Jesus saves us, Jesus saves us, Jesus saves us, saves us from what? Saves them from me, right? Otherwise, I become this statue that other people can't live up to. Wow, I wish I could be like you, Shane. I hope you're not. No, no, I'm, I'm a wicked man. I think evil thoughts. I was talking to somebody the other day. Sometimes I just want to beat somebody up. That's right. That's what we do. We are not saved on our own authority. We are saved under the grace of Jesus Christ. And he changes us. He molds us into his image. He works at us in a way that is supernatural, not natural. And that is why God saved you by his grace. I don't deserve it. How did he do that? He died on the cross, a gruesome death. He stacked the wrath of God on his shoulders with our sins, and he eradicated sin from this earth. Did that 2,000 years ago for all time. For the people at the Tower of Babel, for the people today, down at IR here or wherever else, God rescues me from my sins. He rescues you from your sins. And then he changes my heart to look like him. He changes my lifestyle to look like him. 
and he can do the same for you. Praise God, amen? amen? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to walk out of this dreary way of life. He's the way to do it. You know, I have a hard time. This is, this is a very, this is Shane House testify time right here, okay? It's definitely unscripted. I have a hard time with big churches. I really do. I've been struggling with this for a long time, and I have a hard time with big churches because it's easy to hide in a big church. It's easy to put on a mask in a big church, dress up a certain way, to look a certain things. And do I dress up on Sunday morning? Probably, yeah. I could say I, this is dressed up for me. Um, I wear pants on Sundays. You guys know why I wear pants and not shorts? Because it's freezing cold in here with that stink air conditioner on, right? You're like, no wonder. That's why I wear long sleeves. That's the only reason why I wear long sleeves in the middle of the summer, right? Because that air conditioner blows right up through here. Uh, but I also want it to be comfortable for you guys as well, right? So I, I struggle with this big church mentality because it's easy for people to hide. Does that mean that they're not my brothers and sisters in Christ? No. Does that mean that they, they have Jesus more or less than me? No. No. But I think when we come together, when we get intimate with a group like we're supposed to, we find that we're all broken. And that's the secret of church. We're all broken. And in a small church like ours we have here, we find out that we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all have an evil heart. And we're all in need of a Savior. And that's why we profess Jesus Christ as our Savior. Does that make us any better than the big churches? Absolutely not. We can be broken and we can be dysfunctional family just as easy. And it, it shows up more in a small church, doesn't it? Because when somebody becomes dysfunctional, we all hurt but that's kind of the beauty of church, too, because we don't expect perfection. We all know that we're here, we're broken, we don't have a painted face, and it's a come-as-you-are church. So does it mean come-as-you-are in our fancy clothes or our plain clothes? Yes and no. Does it mean come-as-you-are in your fancy attitudes or your plain attitudes? Yes and no. Right? Come to Jesus just as you are. The more broken I think you can come to him, the better. Whether at a big church, small church, it comes from here, right? And when you can read this and it comes up to here, and when this travels from here to here and you understand what that means, that's the greatest distance in the world, right? That's what Pastor Dave used to say. When it starts to sink from here to here, then you got something, right? And I think that's what we have here today. An honest, broken church in need of a Savior. And um, if all churches were like that, our nation would look a lot different. Amen? So let's set an example for what that means. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's confess to him, Hey, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I messed up. Here's where I, I need to work on and get back to the, what it means to be him. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. 
and then I will close in prayer, and then we'll close with the disciple maker's prayer. Lord, as we walk with you, I, for one, am I'm ashamed of many things that I've done. And in that shame, I know that there's a, there's a gap between you and I, and I'm not walking right next to you. And I ask that you forgive me, Lord. Allow me to come and step with you. Lord, help me to seek your path and your ways. Lord, I pray that as I get into your word and I'm reminded right now of how these kings have fallen as I'm reading through the Kings and Chronicles. Lord, they couldn't do it under their own power. They couldn't do it under their own authority. They, they distorted worship. They distorted what it means to have fun. And Lord, we follow right along their path. Whether it's money, sex, or power, Lord, we, we chase after you in wrong, different ways. And we ask for forgiveness for that. Lord, we become our own God we ask for forgiveness of that too. Lord, we idolize other things in the world and we envy uh, people's possessions, things, or people. Wives and husbands. Lord, we ask for forgiveness of that. Lord, when we say we hate, we murder in our mind. And when we say that uh, we want something and we take it, we're actually thieving. And we ask for forgiveness of that, Lord. We're all broken people. Return our hearts to you. Return our hearts to what it means to follow, to listen and obey. Open up our minds to know what it means to understand your word. That it might sink into our hearts and convict us in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to walk as you walked. And as we walk together, Lord, we pray that we would become disciple makers that have the desire to know and to love you and to reach out and tell other people. Let's say the disciple makers prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.